Hey, good morning, faith family. Say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and also in our venue. Invite all of you to turning your Bibles to the book of Jude, uh, whether that be paper or electronic. Uh, find the book of Jude. It's the book right before the book of Revelation towards the end of the Bible. Uh, one little chapter. And if you're a guest with us, the last several weeks we've been in this little book uh, in a series that we're calling Contend. Um, one of the things that we as Christians are called to do is contend for the faith. Uh, we must fight for the faith. Now, when we say fight, we don't mean with fist. We're not talking about anything physical. Uh, we're saying that we're called to stand for what we believe. And listen, everybody has something in their life that they think's worth fighting for. And as Christians, we believe the faith is worth standing for to say we're not ashamed of what we believe. Amen? And we've talked about the fact that uh, you got to prepare for that fight. You don't just step in the ring and get going. Uh, we talked about that week one. Uh, week two, we talked about the fact that at some point you got to get in the ring. You are a Christian, right? I mean, that means you believe in something. If you're a Christian, you believe in the Christian faith, and therefore you have to contend. Last week, we started looking at the opponent that Jude is dealing with. It's still alive and well in our day. And it's this idea that uh, we can take grace and twist it into an excuse for sin and an excuse to disobey God. Uh, I said this in several of our services, and so I want to be clear uh, what we mean here. In fact, notice it on the screen. Listen, grace welcomes every sinner, but grace is never an excuse for sin. Are you with me? We just did a series called The Grace Parade. God's grace welcomes all people that, that sin in a lot of different ways. We are all uh, equal before the foot of the cross, and we all need grace. But we don't use grace as an excuse to live however we want. Well, that is the opponent that Jude is dealing with, and he's not done with them yet. And so this morning, can you handle an intense message? That's why I love preaching through a book, is I don't get to skip the text, all right? I got to deal with what comes next. And, and Jude still has uh, some words to say about this false teaching. So if you're able to stand in all of our locations, please do, as we look at Jude beginning in verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is God's word. Pray for me, will you? And ask that I would be faithful to it. Let's pray. God, come talk to us now as we look at your word. Um, uh, we here at Berean are committed to your word. Uh, whatever it has to say to us, we need to hear it. 
Even if it's not what we want to hear, it's what we need to hear. And so Holy Spirit, come and lead us into the truth. You're the Spirit of truth, so guide us in truth that we might discern that which is false and contend for what is true. And we ask this to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Ishmael arrived in New York at age 17. He was enrolled in school and immediately struggled relating to some of the typical teenage issues in America. Uh, What am I going to wear? How do I look? What music should I download? You see, his life had been radically different from theirs uh, since he was young. He grew up in Sierra Leone, a place that was ravaged by civil war in the 1990s. Uh, In fact, as a young child, he was forced to be a soldier. He'd seen things children shouldn't have to see. He'd done things that children shouldn't be forced to do. And by age 16, having seen his entire family killed, he was alone. That's when a woman from the United States adopted him and brought him to New York. He struggled fitting in at first, but eventually made some friends. He was always cautious about telling them about his past for fear that they would uh, use it against him. One day, he was invited by his friends to go on a weekend trip to play some paintball. He'd never played paintball before, but his friends assured him that they would take it easy on him. They arrived on Friday night with the intent of getting up first thing Saturday morning to begin their play. He, he looked at uh, the land, he scouted things out, he put together a strategy in his mind, and Saturday morning came. And Ishmael won every single game. I don't even think he got hit once. In fact, he, even, he had to stop playing just to give everybody a chance of winning, And when they were finished, they asked him, are you sure you've never played paintball before? He just smiled. And he said something unbelievably profound as he reflected on that event. He said this. He said, you know, I learned that day that it's one thing to pretend you're at war. It's another thing to have been in one. We know that to be true, do we not? In so many different areas of life, Faith Emily, we know it's one thing like when you were a kid to kind of play house, to to play family. It's an entirely different thing to have to raise one. Anybody want to testify? It's one thing to do well in school and have knowledge, that's important, but it's an entirely different thing to have to put that knowledge into a real life situation. It's one thing to walk into the gym and start punching around on some bags. Trust me, it's an entirely different thing when you step into the ring. Hear me, faith family, this morning. It's one thing to talk about the faith. It's entirely different to actually contend for it. 
That when the truth of God's word is on the line, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is on the line, right here, at some point you've got to stop pretending and start contending. This isn't some game of paintball. This is a real spiritual war that we are in. Lives are on the line. Families are on the line. Churches are on the line. Truth is on the line. And it's entirely different to pretend than it is to actually contend. And that is exactly, is it not, that we've seen the last few weeks, that's what Jude is calling these Christians to. He's what he's calling us to. Look at verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager, oh man, how I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to do something, to fight, to not pretend, but contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints because certain people have crept in unnoticed. Judas saying, come on, this isn't a game. This isn't, a, this isn't pretend paintball. This is real life. And the enemy, the opponent that Jude is facing, as we've mentioned, is these people that were saying, in the name of grace, you can live however you want. You know what? God's a God of love. He forgives. So why don't you do whatever you want to do? They would say it this way. Because we are not saved by the law, which is true, we don't have to do anything the law says. Even the moral law. They were antinomians against the law. They were using grace to justify their own sin. Let's recap this quickly. In verse 4, he says they pervert the grace of God. That is, they're moral atheists. They wouldn't say there is no God right here. They just live like there is no God. Verse 5, like Israel, they went their way instead of going God's way. Verse 6, like the angels, they left the position that God gave them to pursue their own passions. They left the responsibility God had entrusted them with to do their own thing. Verse 7, like Sodom and Gomorrah, they forsook God's design for sexuality to do their own desires. They walked away from what God said to do their own thing. And here's the result, verse 8. Let's look at this. In like manner, these people also relying on their own dreams. That is, they don't live based on divine revelation. They live, don't, they live on their own imagination, whatever they think is right. Next phrase, they defile the flesh. They use their body for whatever they want to use their body for. They reject authority. Ain't nobody going to tell me how to live. Especially you, preacher. I mean, you're not going to tell me what to do. I reject it. I am my authority. They blaspheme glorious ones. That is, because angels were the mediators of the law, they spoke bad of angels as a way to speak bad about the law. These were people desiring their own autonomy. And that, friends, isn't new. 
I thought about, for instance, Psalm uh, chapter 2. Do you remember this? Look at Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Listen, come on, everybody, Lakeville venue, the desire of humanity ever since the fall of humanity has been, I want to be king. I want to run my own life. I want to be my own authority. Man, if I were king, the world would swing. Tom Petty, right? Oh, man, what it would be to sit on the throne of my life, to be able to determine that I can do whatever I want to do because it's my life. It's my prerogative. I can have it my own way. The problem is, are you with me? That creeps into the church and the same thing gets pursued in the name of grace. You see, the culture will just be uh, blunt about it. I want to live my own life. But in the church, we're a little more subtle. It's why Jude says it crept in, because it kind of goes this way. Um, uh, Well, you know God is a God of love, right? You know God forgives. You know, I'm not even sure the Bible is relevant to this issue. In other words, we cover our sin in a blanket of grace to justify what we want to do. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Grace receives all sinners, amen, but it never excuses our sin. And what happens is Christians, yes, even Christians that have no sense of biblical authority, no sense of God's design for sexuality, and they drift away from the truth. And Jude says, may it never be. Now, let let me give you an example of this, and we'll move on in the text that I think is so clear. Do you remember in John chapter 8, the woman that's caught in adultery, and uh, the Pharisees are about to stone her? I mean, they've got rocks in hand, and they are ready to give it to her. And Jesus steps in, and he says this. Do you remember this? He says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Are you without sin? Are you? Are you? Are you, th- then cast the stone. And I can imagine you would have heard a whole lot of rocks drop. And we love to emphasize that piece, right? But what does Jesus say after that to her? Now go and say it, sin no more. It's both. It's grace that... that All people of all sin are received in Jesus. If you're without sin, then cast your stone. That's what I thought. Now go and don't sin. Go and walk in obedience. That's what Jesus is about. Are you with me? Jude says these teachers, like we see all around us, twist grace. They pervert it as a way of justifying whatever life you want to have. And now he's going to say, the problem with that is it's really dangerous. 
It's really dangerous. And part of the reason why it's so dangerous is because it's deceptive, because it's wrapped in a blanket of twisted grace. And so it will sound good. It'll be partially true, but lead you to a lie. You know, I've been given the illustration through this series because it's called Contend of some boxing illustrations. Uh, What are things that we can learn in the ring that helps us understand the fight of faith? And one, one very important strategy in boxing is something called deception. Like if you can deceive your opponent, uh, you can get them where you want them to be. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to deceive. You can act like you got hit and then draw them in and then boom, put it on them. Another deception is what's called distance deception. If I can make you think I'm closer than I actually am, I can draw you off. So for instance, uh, one of the best at this uh, was a boxer by the name of Floyd Mayweather. Uh, and you'll notice here kind of in his stance that he's, he's setting up his opponent. He wants his opponent to think that he's closer than he actually is so he can draw him off. So watch what happens. When his opponent throws the punch, just a little move and bam, he's got him right where he wants him. Let's watch it again. He thinks he's closer than he is, moves back, boom, got him right where he wants him. You see, deception is dangerous. That doesn't just happen in the ring, that happens in the faith. And false teaching, even in the name of grace, will deceive you by drawing you somewhere you don't want to go. Are you with me? Look at the metaphors that Jude now gives to explain the danger of their deception. Verse 12, they're hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along uh, by the winds, their fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, their wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, their wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So, so what, are these, what do these metaphors of, of danger, of deception mean? Uh, listen, Jude is saying what I am pleading for us, everybody, Lakeville venue, come right here. Please don't fall for the lie of grace. I am all about grace. We are all about, go back and look at four and a half years of sermons that I've preached here. We are radically gospel of grace centered. Amen. But we're about true grace, not a lie of grace. And I am pleading with you, don't go that way because it's dangerous. Number one, because it's destructive. It's destructive. They're like hidden reefs. That is, this false teaching sneaks in, in Jude's day, into their fellowship meals, their agape feast, their love feast. This was a a Christian time of fellowship to celebrate their unity of Christ. It would often include the Lord's Supper. And these false teachers would sneak in, and they'd pull you aside, and rather than encourage you in obedience, rather than to try to stir you up to godliness, rather than to be there to motivate you to pursue Christ, they would say things like, I'm not even sure that's a sin. Oh, but you know what? God is a gracious God after all. And they actually end up encouraging your disobedience rather than your obedience. And Jude says that when they do that, they're like hidden reefs in the sea. They cause damage. They're like a Minnesota pothole. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? You didn't even see it coming, and boom, it brings damage. You got too close. You drifted off just a little bit. Some of you will remember the story of the Costa Concordia, the cruise ship that wrecked in Italy. We talked about this some time ago. Do do you remember why this even happened? It happened because the, the captain, the one driving the ship, decided to get off course. Now listen, because he wanted to please the passengers. He wanted them to have a better view of the shoreline. The problem is he went shallow, ran into the rocks, sank the ship, and 39 people died. You see, that's what these self-feeding shepherds will do. They will want to please you. They will tell you what you want to hear, all the while ripping a hole in your faith. And you need to start asking yourself, I told you this was going to be an intense one this morning, but I'm your spiritual trainer, I'm your pastor who loves you, and I'm asking you this morning to take a serious inventory as to the counsel you get in life. And if you have surrounded yourself with reefs that tell you what you want to hear, it won't be long till you are off course. Even in the church, you sit around in your small group, And they just pat you on the back because they want you to like them. They're self-feeding shepherds. Oh, well, you know what? That doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't even apply. Oh, you know what? God's, oh, you know, that's not a big deal. Listen, yes, God is a God of grace and he receives all sinner. But grace never justifies. It never excuses sin. And shepherds that are real shepherds don't feed themselves. They feed you. Which means this. Sheep... If you keep walking the way you're walking, you're going to fall off the ledge. Please don't go that way. Faith family, I love you as your pastor. Don't go the way of twisted grace because it leads to destruction. Secondly, is it will disappoint you. The the next imagery is that of waterless clouds. In the ancient Near East, you know that it's a very dry climate. They're desperate for rain. Uh, You can go back in the Old Testament to things like like a dry and weary land where there is no water. A deer pants for the streams. Uh, This imagery of being desperate for water. Well, imagine you're a farmer in the ancient Near East. And there it is in the distance. The cloud that promises rain. Oh, it's what you've been waiting for. You can't wait till it gets here. It's going to help your crops. That's going to help your income. That's going to help your family. Oh, you can't wait. And then it shows up. And there's not a single drop of rain. Sin made all these promises And it never delivered. It felt great on Friday night and disappointed Saturday morning. Look at, uh, for instance, uh, Proverbs 25, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. You see, these false teachers would promise liberty only to take them into slavery. They would promise them prosperity only to end up in poverty. They would promise refreshment only to leave you dry. It always disappoints. Please hear your pastor this morning. Don't go that way. 
Don't go that way of twisted grace. It will never give you what it promises. Amen? Number three. It doesn't just destroy, it's not just disappointing, but it also brings deadness. The next imagery is that of fruitless trees. Jude mentions here late autumn. In the ancient Near East, in late autumn, you would expect that trees would be in full bloom and full of, of abundance. The problem is you look around and this is what you see. It's deadness. There's no fruit at all. This is not what you would expect. Now, why, why is that the case? Why is Jude using that imagery of fruitless trees? Everybody right here, finish this. The wages of sin is... You see, when you use twisted grace to lead you down the pathway of sin, you're not headed towards life because you're walking away from Christ. You're moving towards it. That's why there's no root. That's why there's no fruit. That's why there's no substance. That's why it ends in deadness. Please, I beg of you, don't go down that road. It doesn't just destroy and disappoint and bring deadness, but notice, fourthly, it brings disorder and defilement. The next imagery here is that of wild waves. Uh, this imagery of an ocean that is in chaos, uh, the seas that's in all kinds of confusion. Have, have you ever been out on the ocean or in the sea or seen a storm where there's all these raging waves? That's the imagery that Jude has in mind here. And, and here's the point. Here's the point. When you step out of God's design, disorder follows. God has designed life to be a certain way. God has designed sexuality to be a certain way. When you step outside of that design, disorder comes. It's riding the wild waves. It's swimming in the storm. It brings chaos and confusion in your life. And that's not it. That's not the only thing. These waves produce a foam, the text says. You ever been walking along the beach and seen the foam that comes up on the shore? In fact, it often even brings with it trash and, and filth. That's the imagery here. Isaiah 57 verse 20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Lakeville venue, everybody right here, please, I beg of you, I beg of you as your pastor, don't go that way. Please look at me. Don't go down the road of twisted grace that uses God's grace to excuse your sin. Here's the last one. Is it goes the wrong direction and disappears. It goes the wrong direction and it disappears. The last imagery is that of wandering stars, likely referring to fallen angels, but I don't have time for that. The ancient Near East stars were used as GPS. Uh, this is really insightful. They didn't have a smartphone back then. You heard it here. Uh, no GPS on their camel, all right? Uh, you know, the camel didn't turn around and say, recalculating. That didn't happen. The, the way they traveled uh, was stars. In fact, you already know this. How many of you have ever sent a Christmas card? What are the wise men following? 
Thank you for getting that one right, okay? Uh, you you got to at least pass that, that question. Uh, they're following stars. Stars in the ancient Near East were used as direction. Uh, that's what, so can you imagine, here's the imagery, a star that's constantly moving, a star that's wandering. If you're trying to follow a fixed star to get where you're supposed to be, if it keeps moving, you end up where? At the wrong destination, Oh man, this is, this is such an insightful question I think that Jude would ask uh, his readers. Here it is. Um, if you, if, how are you going to end up looking like Christ if you follow stars that encourage sin? Somebody say, preach, preacher. Christian, how are you going to get where you're supposed to go if you're not following Christ? Grace, real grace, leads you to Jesus, not from Jesus. And not only do they take you the wrong direction, but they disappear. Have you ever seen what we would call a shooting star or a falling star? You ever seen something like that? They're, they're here one day, gone the next, like Nicolas Cage's acting career. But anyways, you know, it's just here one day and it's like, where'd it go? Okay, that's a joke. It's a joke, right? Uh, but this is the imagery. It's, it's like, um, it promises you this. And you feel it for a moment at the computer screen. The buzz. And then like a falling star, it's gone. It doesn't last. Because everything twisted grace is promising you is temporary. Everything real grace has promised you is eternal. Do you remember our good friend Coelith? I miss him. <laughs> I miss him. He, he and I became friends. Uh, for those of you that are, that are here, maybe weren't for our Ecclesiastes series, he's the main character in Ecclesiastes. Some of our people have been trying to forget him, but I won't let them. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, here's what he says. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. In other words, I went after the life I wanted. I got everything my heart craved. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, but watch what happens. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, what was it? Vanity. It's like striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So if you don't like the falling star analogy, then go with the chasing wind analogy. Either way, it doesn't last. Please don't go that way. And maybe you're here today and you would say, man, pastor, I feel like you're talking to me because I feel like there's a hole in my faith. It may very well be that you've been sailing too close to hidden reefs. Maybe you would say, I feel like I'm, I'm in a spiritual drought. Well, maybe it's because you've been deceived by waterless clouds. 
Maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm not experiencing spiritual life and vitality. Maybe it's because you're following fruitless trees. You say, there's confusion in my life. It may be because you're swimming in the wild waves. You say, there's no direction in my life, no satisfaction in my soul. Maybe it's because you've been following wandering stars. So here's an idea. How about stop following the lie of grace and submit to the Lord of grace? For the Bible says he's not a hidden reef, he's the solid rock, amen? The Bible says he's not the shepherd that feeds himself, he's the shepherd that sacrificed himself. He's not a waterless cloud, he offers living water. He's not a fruitless tree, he's the true vine. He's not a wild wave, he's the one that says to wild waves, peace, be still. He's not a wandering star, he is, according to the book of Revelation, the bright and morning star. He won't take you the wrong way, brother, sister, he is the way. Point... Point, Jesus can give you everything sin promises but can't in abundance. All those lies that it's promising you, all those things that if you'll just go this way and follow twisted grace, you could have in abundance with true grace in Christ Jesus. He's everything these false teachers are not. Please don't go that way. Are you with me? Man, I love you. And I wouldn't love you if I told you what you wanted to hear. Jude says, This isn't pretend. I ain't playing patty cake and we don't serve candy with our communion. This is real life. We're in a real war and there is lie and error out there and you must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This is what the false teachers teach. This is what happens if you follow their direction. It's dangerous. And then lastly... Jude's going to say, as we'll close, this is where it ends up. If, if you're here today, Lakeville Venue, listening online, if you're here and you say, that dude's just old school, that's just traditional, he needs to catch up with modern America, I'm living my own way regardless of what he says, okay, okay, but this is where it leads. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the, everybody say it, ungodly of all their deeds of, say it, ungodliness that they have committed in such a, say it, ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that the, say it, ungodly sinners have spoken against Him, that is, against Christ. Now, a few, a few things and we'll end, but, but man, you've, you've got to hear me. Um, Jude quotes an external source, something that the 
readers of his letter would have understood something that lines up with Scripture, and it's this. God's judgment is a reality. Now let's talk for a minute. Um, There are churches that will not talk about the judgment of God. We are not one of those. And I don't say that in arrogance. We're just committed here to say what the Bible says. And in the same way, listen, you don't want a doctor that gives you no truth. You may want one, but you don't need a doctor that gives you no truth. It comes in and says, you know, we ran the test, but who really cares about your medical health? Let's talk about the twins. Okay? That may feel good, but that is not what you need. Amen? You also don't need a doctor that only gives you half truth. Hey, we ran the test. The good news is it hasn't spread. The bad news is, but you know what? Who likes bad news? Let's just forget that. No, you need to hear that. In other words, you already know this and how you relate to your doctor. You don't need no truth and you don't need half truth. You need what? The whole truth. Why would you expect anything less from a church? God is a God of love. And He is a God of wrath. Brother, sister, friend, guest, if you keep walking your own way, the Bible says it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Why would God judge? It's why I made you say the word four times in verse 15, because of ungodliness. What is Jude saying? Listen, listen. Those that choose to live their own way, those that decide to be their own king, those that reject God's way to live their own way, well, guess what? They will stand before God and give account. And there will be no one judged by God, notice it on the screen, who is undeserving. No one. Because you have said to God, the creator of your life, I'll take care of my own life. Ungodliness. It will be judged. But Jude is not just doom and gloom. Look at verse 21 as we wrap it up. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. We'll come back to this next week. Waiting for the, everybody say it, mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In other words, Jude four times uh, in verse 15 says, ungodly, 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 ungodly. Can I tell you some good news? Are you ready for some good news? Everybody right here, the Bible says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this may be the most important part of the message right here, Lakeville venue right here. Jude is saying this, there are two paths of grace you can follow. One is twisted grace, and it leads to judgment. The other is true grace, and it can rescue you from judgment. Twisted grace is the path of self. True grace, are you ready, is the path of I need a Savior. 
Which path of grace are you on today? My guess is you've heard the story of Beck Weathers. In May of 1996, he and 10 other people were there 26,000 feet up on Mount Everest just trying to survive. Pelted by snow and ice, losing oxygen, Weathers begins to drift into unconsciousness. Many others that were there get rescued that day, but they leave Weathers for dead. They, they think he's a lost cause. He's already drifted too far. He's gone. And then amazingly, 15 hours later, his body warms up just enough to wake up. He realizes he's about to be a dead man. He's got very little time and he's gone blind. He'd had an eye operation uh, before the climb and the altitude had caused him to lose his sight. And so he heads in the direction that he thinks is towards base and miraculously arrives back at camp. But it wasn't without its consequences. Weathers would have his right arm amputated around his elbow. All the fingers on his left hand would be removed, and his nose would have to be entirely reconstructed. And, and please hear me. This is what stuck with me about his story. He says, I was laying there in that hospital bed, reflecting on everything that I had just been through. And he said, I made an important discovery in my life. He said, I realized that my obsession with mountain climbing was nothing more than an obsession with me. I had been living my own life. I had been climbing the mountain of self and listen, it almost cost him my family. It almost cost me my life. You climbing that mountain? I'll live my own way. It's my body. I'll do whatever I want. Ain't no one going to tell me how to live my life. Everybody look at me. Look at me. You can climb that mountain, but it will not be without a cost. So I would invite you this morning to a different mountain, a hill called Calvary. There you must die. There you must surrender all. But there, you will find true grace. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word to us this morning. Warnings are gifts of grace. Warnings are gifts of grace. Because it tells us, it proclaims to us where the track we're on is headed and how we can turn around. 
and pursue You and experience true grace. We're in such a world, even in the church of twisted grace, we, we, we cover our sin and the blanket of grace to justify whatever we want to do. All that we would hear the words of the Apostle Paul, how can we who've been saved from sin want to live any longer in it? We are a people of grace, a grace that leads to Jesus, not a grace that leads to self. So I ask this morning that if there's one here that needs to repent, that is turn from the path they're on, I pray this morning that they would repent. If there is someone here this morning and they realize my life has been climbing the mountain of self, today I want to go to Calvary. I'm turning from my sin and I'm putting my faith in Christ alone. I'm tired of being Lord of my life. I pray that today they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, teach us, convict us, draw us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.